different types of problems that COVID brought. And we were learning as we went and building up policies as we went. And there was so much confusion about which masks do you need to wear? Like we were still like, no, it's a fake. No, it's a surgical mask. No, it's an N95. No, it's a one of these respirators. Like it's, you know, we were, we had no idea. And it was basically just like going out there and like taking care of these patients and being like, well, Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the selfie show, you guys. Happy Tuesday. So I'm going to be making this short and sweet this morning because you are in for a long, amazing episode. So buckle up, get ready. Today, I brought on Heather, RN, BSN, New York COVID frontline provider. So we're rounding out the episodes. I have Heather and then I have one other nurse coming in for you guys as well. So This is more of a perspective from a New York-based nurse. So she is working in New York. She's from New York and has been working frontline since the pandemic hit. Not only that, she is a new grad nurse. So you're gonna be hearing a lot from that perspective, not to mention the fact that Heather's also in the process of applying to medical school. She just took the MCAT. So we're gonna be deep diving into that process as well. She has a lot of great perspectives. Not only that, she's a lifestyle blogger talking about wellness, nutrition, whole foods, and functional medicine. You guys, this is probably one of my most favorite topics. If you haven't, you know, gotten the gist, if you're a new listener, I'm a big fan of functional medicine. Western meets Eastern medicine. We're really marrying the two. And this is really the goal that Heather really wants to touch into. And... She's going to be talking to you about her process, everything she's been going through as a frontline provider, what it's like to be living in New York throughout this whole process and the pandemic. We're going to be deep diving on so many different topics today from the new grad nurse perspective to COVID frontline provider, studying for the MCAT and applying to medical schools. We're going to be going all over you guys talking about the nurse model versus medical model and what it's really like to be living in New York right now during the heat of the pandemic. So I'm really excited about this one, you guys. I hope you guys enjoy this as much as we did recording it. And so without further ado, let's dive in. So we'll just go ahead and dive in. So first question, um, how are you doing? How are you holding up? It honestly changes day to day. And I think that's because we are constantly in flux with coronavirus and everything societally that's going on. So um, and plus my sleeping schedule is always changing as a night shift nurse. So um, on my days off, I'm trying to reclaim those small moments that really um, speak to the things that I love to do. And I'm trying to redevelop my passions again, because I feel like, um, and we'll, we'll go into my studying later, but I was studying really intensely over the past year for this specific exam I was taking. And I lost sight of, I had blinders on completely and I lost sight of everything else that I love to do. Um, and then taking gyms away and, and not having, you know, nail salons open, you really, you really have to curate your own, um, passions again and, and identity again. So it changes from day to day. Uh, and I'm also in a, in a city where I don't have that many, that large of a community because I'm, I'm, Quinn and I moved here alone. So, 
uh, it does change from day to day. I love it because I've been following you now for probably, I don't know, for a while. I think so. The backstory is that I met you through Barco originally, and we're both Barco ambassadors. And I started following your story, and I just love it. I feel like you and I are very much in the same space, like lifestyle. We're very much similar in that we both really crave those things that we love. And it's really, this time has been super hard on me as well. And um, your story too is just super remarkable. I think that you have so many things to offer to upcoming nurses and even nurses right now to hear your story because I think it's really unique. So for people who don't know you, um, let's get the spiel. Where are you from? Where did everything start here? Sure. Um, I'm from South Florida originally. I'm from Boca Raton, which is in between West Palm Beach and Fort Lauderdale. So when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to do nursing right away uh, because of just I, I loved the science and I loved the holistic health and the the care and the compassion that went behind it. I really um, what's interesting is I, I kind of developed all of these ideas about nursing from the world around us and not really from personal experience because I never really shadowed a nurse. I never, no one in my family is a nurse. Yeah, so I. I, yeah, I, I, it's the strangest thing, but I was so stubborn about it. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the prereqs, da, 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 I'm going to apply. And so uh, it actually worked out that after my first year of prereqs, at the University of Florida, I applied to nursing school instead of after my second year. So in the BSN, the traditional BSN program. What was your process like? Do you feel like you were always good in school? Yeah, I was a really good student. Um, I am the type of person that can learn something on my own pretty well using the resources that are disposable to me. Uh, I'm good at finding resources on, on the internet and I've always been really disciplined. So I think the combination of of those things. So fast forwarding into your nursing career. So you're in the adult world and specifically you work in New York. So did you always know you wanted to go into adults and you're in New York? How did this all happen? So, well, it really, I never wanted to move to New York. (laughs) That's the funny part is I, you know, whenever I visited here, I was always like, well, like, it's really busy and there's a lot of cool stuff, but I think visiting here and moving here are two very different things. Uh, and we uh, decided to move here together, Quinn and I, when he was accepted to uh, medical school here at NYU Grossman School of Medicine. So that was the big decision for us because he is a part of the class of students that uh, received all full tuition scholarships. So he was had the opportunity to basically go to medical school for free and NYU is an ex, is wow. top three program. So it was it would have been a really hard decision financially for us to turn down despite uh, the you know hardships of, of moving here and you know transplanting here. So totally uh, that was the decision to move here. I did not have a job when we moved here last August. I um, 
it, it was such a struggle to get a job because the, the market here is very oversaturated. So that's something that I was going to ask you. So because um, I a lot of new grads are kind of asking me this. And what I love about it is you are within your first year of, of nursing and um, a lot of and I know you've gotten you've been posed this question kind of over and over. So how did you land your job in New York City, a big city, right? And your new grad, how did this all happen? How did you land your job? Sure, I think uh, my situation is different than how most people get jobs here. And I'll share my experience versus what most people do. Uh, but I had a connection through someone in uh, Quinn's admissions office, actually. So I was able to get connected that way, which I'm very fortunate for. But my friends who moved here with no experience all got their jobs through LinkedIn, which I never had the, I never understood how it worked. Isn't that <laughs> and crazy? I think that probably, yeah, that probably would have been the best thing I could have done in undergrad is figure out LinkedIn and really how to utilize it. But um, my friends who got jobs here with no experience would set their LinkedIn profile up. They would message recruiters in the area and just a ton of them. And then, or they would try to connect with them first and add them as um, a colleague. And then if they accepted their request, then they would go and message them and just like a blanket, like message anyone they could. And then a few people would get back to them and pass their information along to uh, HR in their respective uh, hospitals. So that's how people have found jobs pretty quickly. And I think I, I should have done that. Yeah, it's funny because um, I actually learned this tip from a different podcast when they were speaking more specifically to businesses, entrepreneurs and things like that. But they were she was basically saying the most underutilized platform on all, you know, as far as like a business person to self-promotion is LinkedIn. And the reason for that is because when you type in anybody's name, it always pops up as like a top five in the search engines. Like, and it's also a search engine itself, but it's really funny because I think that's actually a really good tip is to really spruce up your LinkedIn. So something else I think is really important is to maybe, um, because I love the idea of really deep diving into your experience as a new grad right now. Um, I think a lot of, we have a lot of new, potential new nurses listening. And I think something that I really want to dive into is what is it like working as a newer nurse nowadays? Can you deep dive into that? Yeah, I, you know, we, in nursing school, I was always aware of the concept of nurse to nurse bullying. Uh, and I, you know, the concept of nurses eat their young, but I think Instagram and social media today and the movements that we have in the healthcare field has really actually changed that and have made that taboo. I think, uh, I'm fortunate to work at an institution that is a learning environment. It's a, it's a academic related hospital academic affiliated hospital so uh we are we have i'm in a nurse residency program as well so they already know that i'm coming in new with no experience and so i was precepted for 10 weeks which is a lot longer than some other programs would probably have and i have always felt supported and you know there are moments where 
you make a mistake and an older nurse will not be the nicest <laughs> telling you about it. <laughs> yes. But that I will think happen. In, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's in any field though. So I don't think that that's specific towards nursing. I think a part of being a young adult and starting in the workforce, which is a, a monster in itself coming from your tiny bubble in college to working with people that are, you know, people your mother's age. Uh, it's just a different dynamic of interacting with different people uh, is that you're going to face people that are not kind and you're going to have to have a thick enough skin to kind of like take what they say and, you know, apply the value to it as you see fit. So uh, I think there are environments that are very supportive, but there's still that, there's still that tension between I like that confidence that you lack when you don't have any experience. And that's, I think the barrier. I was going to say something that I really picked up on you that, you know, you and I have talked about is I feel like you're very mature for your age. Cause I still, I think I would forget how young you are. Um, You know, it's, you have that natural, very mature, you know, I guess like aura about you. And so I think it would be easy for a, a, a seasoned nurse to be like, well, why don't you get this? And it's like, no, I'm still new. So deep diving. And I like to get very specific here because I like hearing all the, the behind the scenes, like let's pull the curtain back. So can you describe your day to day as a new, as a nurse? Yeah. Um, so I started on day shift and now I work night shift. I wake up around five uh get ready for work i take the ferry to work now because i live across the east river so i take the ferry around six uh get to work around six thirty. sit down you know get put my stuff down take a few sips of coffee and probably won't drink the rest for the rest of the <laughs> night and then i sit down and look at my patients that i'm assigned to right now we've been having some staffing difficulties post covid world because i know um, today is July 28th when we're recording this. So, um, New York city is really doing well in the COVID space, but you know, we, in March, April, May, June, early June, we were completely inundated. So now we're kind of facing the COVID staffing aftermath, which is being really short staffed because our hospital is out of a lot of money. Uh, so we're, I typically am having like five patients, and sometimes I'll start with three and get two admissions or start with four and get an admission. That's typically how it goes throughout the night. Uh, but I sit down, look up all my patients, you know, what's going on with them, their history, vitals, labs, uh, orders, everything like that. And then I, at seven, I'll get report from the day nurse at the bedside. <clears throat> we'll go over everything that's going on with the patient situation, the drains, tubes, um, drips, yeah. lines, anything um, at the bedside, which has been a not a super new thing, but bedside handoff has been kind of a, a newer push, and it's actually it does really improve patient care, I believe. Yeah. So I'll do that for my five page four or five patients, and then I like a like kind of whitewash the the start of the shift, and we'll clean all of my stuff, my phone. Uh, we actually have phones that are iPhones at my hospital that are connected to Epic that we can scan things with. And so you don't have to bring the whole computer cart in because we're not, our floor is two bedded rooms. 
we're not like an ICU where everyone has their own individual airborne prepared room and there's a computer attached to the wall outside. Like we have movable computers. Uh, so we go in and out of rooms uh, and then I'll look up, you know, who's a finger stick at 10 PM? Who do I need to see first with meds? Who do I need to assess first? I'll go listen to everyone's lungs, uh, get my supplies ready for the shift. And then just to, honestly, you never know what is going to happen. Like it's, I was gonna that's say. The thing. yeah, I work in adult medicine, uh, acute medicine. So ever, all of my patients come in with wildly diverse, um, diseases. And it's, that's my favorite part is the diversity of what, of the problems that we take care of, but it's also, it all, can also be an opportunity for things to be a little crazy. Uh, we are, uh, not really the lowest acuity, but we're lower than step down. We're like ripe in step down level of care. So, okay. uh, we can have patients that are pretty sick and decompensating that and that we need to really tend to so they don't um like crash basically or everyone can be kind of chilling so it's you never know what you're gonna get and that's the hard part is and as a new grad something i would you know like to note is that the anxiety that you feel going into work is normal and it's really scary um and that's the most, I think for the first six months of working, now I'm at about 10 months of work so far, and I feel better going into work. I feel like I can problem solve a lot better and troubleshoot. And that's the biggest thing is troubleshooting and prioritizing. Uh, but the first six months, I felt just terrible anxiety going into work. Um, and I, I think that's really normal. And yeah, it is. my coworkers said that that's, you know, completely normal, but I didn't realize how much of a burden that was going to be. It sounds like you actually are working on a pretty, your, your floor sounds very cute to me, actually, the fact that you have drips and everything. And I do think it's interesting because um, I like tapping into that a little bit when I'm talking to a lot of the new grads. I mean, I DM with so many new grads and just sort of helping them kind of just like a little bit of a mentorship, I guess. And it's interesting because I think just tapping into how I was back when I started, I can really resonate with that. Like, I think that's something that we we don't talk about enough. And I think it really is coming on the forefront of helping our nurses transition a little bit better. And it is, it's really anxiety driving. I mean, regardless of even if you still are in a residency program, you're still going to have those feelings. And, um, you know, I think it's very common and to work through. I honestly feel like for me personally on my unit, I don't think I started feeling really good until probably two years in where I was like, okay, like I'm, I have it down. Um, and even still, you know, seven years in, I still have days where I'm like, oh my God, like I haven't seen this in years. I don't remember, you know? And so, you know, I think that's very common. So something else that I think is really intriguing about you and a big aspect of this is that you were in the process of applying and studying for the MCAT and working towards med school. And I think this is really interesting because, you know, nursing and medical is so different. But I really want to dive into that. You know, you've been a nurse for a year and um, you made the decision to start studying for the MCAT. So let's deep dive into that. What, where did that come from? Sure. Uh, actually, when I was still in college, my senior year of nursing school, 
I felt kind of like this tugging on my heart. Uh, when I was at clinicals, I always found myself like gravitating, trying to like listen in to like what the the doctors were saying and like what their huddle was like. I felt like I was in, I just felt like I wasn't super passionate about the things that I was doing in clinicals. And now that I look back, I think that would have been a red flag for me uh, because other people weren't having that same experience. Uh, but I thought it's like, we're all waking up early. Like no one wants to wake up this early and drive here and you do all this stuff. So I'm not alone, but I think I would have listened in more to that. And so that was in the beginning of my senior year. And um, I think it's always been in the back of my mind. I started originally wanting to go into nursing to be a nurse practitioner. So it, that was always my goal. I, weirdly enough, knew a lot about the advanced practice level of nursing and not that much about bedside nursing. So uh, that was always my goal because I think my high school graduating class, like in 2000, I graduated high school in 2016. So not that long oh ago. God. Yeah. That's putting I know. some I age on me. When I told my coworkers that, they're like, oh my gosh. Um, so when I graduated high school and was deciding to go into nursing, a lot of, there was a lot of awareness of NPs at that stage, I think. So I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. And I actually, I always forget this, I applied to NP programs while I was in nursing school and I was accepted. I was going to do, I was going to go to Duke and um, for their women's health program. Cause I was really passionate about women's health at the time, senior year. And they actually offered me a 50% scholarship too, which I was so excited about. And then this opportunity came uh, through Quinn and through Quinn's connections with medical school here in New York. Uh, we had a meeting with one of the admissions officers here and he was like, Hey, like we have this new program in uh, Long Island and they're looking for nurses to apply and it's a three year medical school and you don't have to have the prerequisites and it's free tuition. And I think if you're really interested in all the things that you say you are like primary care, prevention, global health, public health, uh, you should think about this if this is you know something that you love if, you know if you want to think about it that's an option for you and so that conversation happened the April of my or March during spring break when we were visiting up here of my senior year and I just could not shake that conversation it was like well why not just go for it you know I always feel like I didn't want my career to fall in the shadow of Quinn's career, uh, just for the sake of me being female and wanting to like be domestic as well as have a career. I graduated college at 21 with my yeah. nursing degree. And I was like, I'm really young. I've got, you know, all of my twenties ahead of me, you know, do I want to become a nurse? And I, in hindsight, it was not probably not smart for me to apply to NP school as in nursing school I, I realize that now the experience <laughs> of a nurse really yeah, but does you know matter. what so you don't know anything <laughs> well you know? you know and I've talked about this a lot I think everyone has a journey right and you know I think that something that it's it's a balance right I think there's no right or wrong way to honestly do something you know everyone's journey is a little different and I think 
you know, we say things and I even catch myself saying it where I'm like, well, you should put, you know, put your time in. And honestly, there are some dynamics in the NP world different than PA world, you know, and I do think that is something important, you know, for a basic overall statement about it is, you know, doctors go to school or MDs go to school and DOs for years and years and years to practice, right? NPs, it's a very different kind of model. You're not you're not in school for that long. So the basis of the nursing model really comes from your experience. So it's a little different. And what I want to dive into, because there's a lot of differences in, you know, nursing and medical. So maybe speaking to the roadblocks that you hit um, along the way, can you talk a little bit about that? If you have been a Selfie Podcast listener, this is not new news to you. There is no better time to be talking about this, and I'm talking about mental health. I know far too many healthcare providers, including doctors, nurses, RTs, struggling through anxiety and PTSD. Working through this pandemic has really taken a toll on everyone's mental health. And this is honestly something I've been working through as well, and finding the resources that truly help and are efficient, effective, and easily accessible are key to my life. And I'm talking better health, you guys. Better health has been featured on NBC, New York Times, WSJ, Men's Journal, Huffington Post, and the like. And let me just tell you why I like better health. So better health offers access to licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board-licensed professional counselors. Let me give you the deets. So you go through a series of questions online to personalize your experience, and a therapist who fits your needs and your preferences from their network of over 7,000 accredited experienced counselors will match to you. Whether you're working through stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, depression, doesn't matter. PTSD, anxiety, working through this pandemic. You guys, let me just tell you, this is the best resource I can possibly offer you. And you guys know how I feel about this. Mental health is worth the investment. So if you guys are interested in trying this out, head over to betterhelp.com forward slash selfie to get 10% off your first month when you go to try it. And let me tell you guys, I've used my own code, okay? So I've been using Better Health for the past couple months. And for the first month, I was talking to someone on the weekly. And now I'm doing once a month check-ins. And it's just been super helpful for me. I just really like talking to someone and having someone literally on my phone accessible. They have an app so you can talk to your therapist anywhere, anytime. The app is amazing. It's super easy, efficient, and this is affordable. This is more affordable than traditional counseling. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive back into this amazing show. So typically people that uh, choose to go to medical school, and I'll get into my why later because I do want to touch on that because I think other people like struggle with making this decision too. Um, something that was really difficult was... Uh, you know, studying for the MCAT because typically students that apply to medical school have taken four years of prerequisites. So they've taken 
chemistry one, chemistry two, bio one, bio two, labs for those, organic chemistry, physics, biochemistry, genetics. They have, you know, all of these classes over four years, which is what Quinn did traditionally. I, and that's what the MCAT, which is the medical college admissions test, tests, um, tests all those hard sciences. Uh, and I had never taken a lot of those classes. So I wanted to take this test without having classes and I needed to self-learn the material. So, and not knowing anyone that has really done that before because it's really unusual to do that because allowing students to matriculate without having classes is a relatively new thing for MD programs. So I was like, you know, I'm just gonna go for it. Uh, I studied for a year, almost a year exactly for this test. And I taught myself uh, organic chemistry, physics, and biochemistry. And I had a little bit of prior knowledge, prior exposure to, to chem, because I took AP Chem in high school, and I have a good bio background. So um, I learned those things, and I, I took the test this past June, about a month ago. And, you know, a curveball that I did not see coming was COVID. And how hard night shift would be uh, with my sleep schedule. So those, it's just like unforeseen <laughs> circumstances. Uh, COVID in the beginning, you know, New York got the brunt of everything first and we had no idea uh, the magnitude that this was gonna come. Uh, and different types of problems that COVID brought and we were learning as we went and building up policies as we went. And there was so much confusion about which mask do you need to wear? Like we were still like, no, it's a fake. No, it's a surgical mask. No, it's an N95. No, it's a, one of these respirators. Like it's, you know, we were, we had no idea. And it was basically just like going out there and like taking care of these patients and being like, well, oh, well, <laughs> you know, someone's yeah. got to do it. Yeah. Uh, and this was, I, like we were taking care of them before we even knew that they caused uh, hypercoagulability. And now that's like a, a huge part of COVID management is like anticoagulation. Yeah, it's interesting because um, another guest we brought on, she brought that up as well, was um, putting every, every patient on heparin. That was an interesting thing. Right, right. So we had no idea that, you know, it could cause all these things. Um, when I started, we were treating with Kylitra, which is like the, the most, like the earliest treatment for this. And we've, you know, we experimented with all these different treatments. So it, there was a lot of new learning. So I was a new nurse and I was also learning how to manage something. And I felt like a, a respiratory therapist. Like I really did. Um, you know, I had to learn how to like, how to use all of these different, um, supplemental Respiratory oxygen support. therapies. Yeah. yeah. And I really, and I was titrating, we were titrating them because the respiratory therapists aren't there on our floor all the time. So if we needed their help, like if they need, the patient needed to go on high flow nasal cannula, like we'd have to call them, doctor would have to put an order in, like it was a whole process. So we're there while they're desatting and we're like, well, like I went to nursing school, so I, I know this, but like, I don't know it as well as someone who's yeah. in RT. Yeah. So it was, and like, you're the one there like, seeing everyone decompensate. So you're like, I don't have the tools to handle this, but I'm the one that's there that yeah. has to be the first responder, essentially. Yeah. Um, Which is so crazy like, because I do feel like that is honestly 
like you have probably you don't even realize it have become such a good nurse because of this which is ironic because you probably don't even realize that and I think nurses we we all naturally do that where you don't give yourself the credit and it's insane to me that you were experiencing this at the height of the pandemic like you were in it as a new grad um and it's insane so I want to hit this head on you know just point blank why did you apply why do you want to apply to med school? Sure. Uh, so after that, I had that conversation senior year of nursing school. I really thought about it and I thought about my long-term career goals in healthcare. And um, I was really young when I graduated and I thought I had a lot of you know time left to devote to studying before I wanted to maybe like settle down and have kids and like develop the family, personal life part of my, my life. So I also really fell in love with something called functional medicine, which utilizes like root cause biochemistry and biology to address uh, chronic and autoimmune conditions that affect millions of Americans and then help them help partner with them in lifestyle and diet approaches and supplementation approaches to kind of um, fixing these, the root cause of these problems and, and helping people along their health journey. Uh, and I knew that the biochemistry that I would felt really in love with and was, became really passionate about and the research that went behind that, uh, was not a huge focus in the, the nursing model. And uh, I appreciate that for, for what it's worth. But in, when I looked at the advanced practice classes that were in my women's health NP program that I applied to, I just didn't see um, the types of classes that I, I could see myself uh, becoming a master in these sciences with. So that was my, my main, my main um, choice, as, as well as using the platform that I have in social media and engaging with people on a public health scale. I really wanted the education to back my platform and, um, you know, the, the research that goes along with that. It's interesting because I think functional medicine is really the bridge of the gap between the whole Western Eastern medicine where it really wants to get to the root. And is there something specific that really draws you to it like in your head what's the goal of this like let's say you know you're the end goal is you get through med school with md or do what's your end game with it sure i um i love the part about of functional medicine that is focused on human health optimization and i think a lot of us live like kind of at this baseline and we like have you know some of us have chronic headaches and some of us have really bad periods and some of us have chronic fatigue and we like kind of just like like say it's the human experience but I think I really think that these symptoms that we have are all connected really at the root um and I've I've noticed that in my patients um at the bedside and in medicine and so I've wanted to connect the dots for these people that are searching for answers that feel so desperate and so um, like disappointed by our solutions in Western medicine because a lot of times we treat symptoms because we don't have a magic pill to fit, fix the root cause. Um, and I want to work with patients in an outpatient, like private practice setting where people are coming to me with their health problems and they want to actually, you know, improve their quality of life and they're willing to make 
you know, diet changes and, and lifestyle changes to see an improvement in their overall quality of life. And um, a, a lot of things that were a lot of research is coming out about the gut microbiome and how important the microbiome is to your, you know, every part of your health from immune issues to skin issues. Uh, it, it really is related to everything. And you as a NICU nurse, like that's really important too, because babies yeah. develop that microbiome when they're yes. really, um, when they're new, 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 yes. that changes their life. You know, there's done, they've done studies about ADHD and obesity and how, whether you were born C-section or vaginally, how that affects those parameters. Yeah. So, Breast milk um, versus formula. Yeah. That's a huge one for us. Um, it's interesting because if preemies are born, I believe it's under the 32 weeks or prior, um, it's exclusively breast milk. We can't even give formula because the risk of developing what we call neck necrotizing enterocolitis is exponentially higher if you start formula at that age. And it's really interesting to me because you know, we're really on the forefront of it really encouraging breast milk and every mom is, you know, you can choose as you want. But in our NICU world, we can't even start formula that young. And it's interesting because it does have a lot to do. And I think that's something that's really on the forefront of understanding the gut, the microbiome. And um, I think it's really, really interesting. And something that I do think is on the forefront in functional medicine. So you can practice as an MD or DO, is that correct? Yeah, you can actually practice as an NP or, you know, PA too. I just wanted the most comprehensive science background that I could get. Um, but I can absolutely, you know, if, if MD doesn't work out and I have not shut off the idea of NP, that's not um, out of the realm of possibility. Absolutely not um, for me. And you can, you can practice in that, in that way too and, and be, do a fellowship in functional medicine through the Institute of Functional Medicine, which is what, I would do after becoming um, a, a doctor or an NP. Yeah. So where are you at in the process? Because I know you've been very, what I think I appreciate about your process is you've been very open on your platform about how everything is going. And I know your boyfriend, Quinn, is in medical school right now. And you've hit some really, really tough times. But I love that you're so open about it. So for people who haven't seen your journey, where are you at with everything? Sure. Sure. So I took my MCAT exam in June, on June 20th. Um, I did not reach my goal. I scored a few points lower than my goal, which was heartbreaking, especially because I knew that my goal was like the lowest score I was okay with that I felt like somewhat confident about applying with. Uh, because the MCAT is, looks like the SAT. It works on averages. Every school has their own average. Um, and it works on a bell curve. So I scored uh, around the 58th percentile. And a lot of the schools that I'm applying to are around the 80th percentile. So quite a bit off, but still over 50% of the population still like scored higher than 50% of the population who have taken the prerequisites. So it's tough for me to know how admissions is going to view my application because I am a pretty non-traditional applicant and I have the bedside nursing experience. So I just, there's no formula to know what's going to happen. Um, 
And if I was a traditional student, I probably would not have applied with my MCAT score. But this was one of those things where I just wanted, decided to go for it. And because I, as much as I am, you know, passionate about medicine and want to become a doctor, this is not something that I want to, you know, continue applying year after year for. Like, I am perfectly fine with doing something else. I realized the cost benefit of continuing to pursue this and and the time as I, I get older uh it's you're not still young I, girlfriend I know I know <laughs> but I just I like I'm okay with I'm okay with if it doesn't work out there yeah. are better things for me well okay uh, so I think it's really interesting and this is why I appreciate it right is because you're so open about your journey and I think there's a lot to be said for you know being open to what's gonna happen and, you know, but you're still on the grind, right? Like you're still, you're working in a pandemic and I would hope that your admissions, you know, when you are applying, they're going to hopefully consider that as a bit, that's a big part of it, right? I mean, you've been working in, a, in probably the hardest time that our healthcare will ever see and you're still resilient. Um, but I think it's so cool that you're being so open about it and, I don't doubt that anything, you know, we're going to be talking a year from now and it's going to be a really interesting story. So, and it's been so fun to see your journey. So and I, I sent in my primary application. I am waiting. It has, it takes six weeks for the application to be verified. They have to verify my transcripts and my, um, all of my information, make sure it's accurate. And then at that point it gets sent out to the schools that I'm applying to. The schools will review it, send me a secondary application, which has more essays, prompts, then you do those, and then you send those back, and then they review all of it together, and then they will ask to interview you or not. Uh, and then you do an interview. This year, is, everything is online, which is new. Usually, you fly out to the school, and you do the interview, and then you hear back a few weeks later. So it's a long, it's a very long process. Like, I'm applying this summer to start the fall of 2021. So it is over a, a year long process. Yeah, that's, and, and that's um, interesting to point out too, you know, a concept right. that you don't even think yeah, about. Yeah, so I have no idea what's gonna happen. That's always been my attitude though. I didn't think that I was gonna apply to, ner- to medical school with a nursing school GPA because my nursing school um, GPA, uh, like guidelines were like very skewed in my opinion. Like a 95 wasn't an A, like you could have a 90 and have a B minus. So uh, it was a very different grading scale than what Quinn was used to as a traditional student. Um, And so I'm applying and I I never had that perspective where it's like this test means everything or I kind of always just like did my best took the test, my score was what it was, and I moved on. Like, I, it never meant the world to me. I was never an all-nighter type of studier. I kind of accept things as they are, face value. Um, and for schools, like, if they're not willing to look at me holistically and um, see the things that I, the unique things that I can bring to the table, uh, then, you know, that's not on me. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I rest easy knowing there's literally nothing else I could have done. I used all of my vacation time in the months of June and May uh, to study for this. So I, and I studied like literally the day of the test. The test is an eight hour test. 
but the one that I took was shortened because they changed it because of COVID. Uh, I dealt with a test cancellation. I I like a month before the test that I didn't know I was going to get that date again. Uh, people in Florida and California are having their test dates canceled right now because people are still taking it, uh, which is, you know, it's, everything is really skewed right now because of COVID. So I don't think any of last year's statistics are really applicable to this year. Uh, I think it's really just, I don't know. We'll see. I don't have any, I kind of have a very open hand uh, mentality with it. So just to like get a picture of it, let's say for in the best scenario possible, you started um, next year, fall 21. How long would it take you to get to the completion point? How many years are you talking? Sure. So hopefully if I go to the program I want to go to, that program is three years specifically. Um, And then residency is another three years because I want to be a general internal medicine doctor or do family medicine. So those uh, are typically three-year residencies. So it would be six years. If I went to a different school and their medical program is four years, like a typical four-year program, yeah. then it would be seven years. So it's a, it's a, lot, a much longer journey for, uh, than a you know, two-year or three-year MSN program, which yes. is what my was comparing it to. Yeah. Uh, but there was... There was a lot of thought that went into it and I thought like I you know I'm gonna be 30 anyways I kind of want to be 30 and a doctor yeah yeah and that's amazing I think that's something that's really cool um you know there's so many women who are pioneering in the social media space and I'm getting to see and hear from a lot of those women and It's so cool, you know, and I even tell people this, you know, as far as nursing goes, you're never too old. I mean, I know nurses that started their careers at 38, you know, I mean, I think there's just this like stigma of you have to be so young to start everything. And I'm like, you still have diaper rash, no offense, but I'm like, you know, you are so young and, you know, I think to figure out your journey as you go is important and you hit, you have been dealing with again, the biggest, the biggest hurdle, I think, is that you were a nurse during COVID, which is, is crazy to me. And I actually want to deep dive into that a little bit. So, um, sort of channeling back to when all this started, um, as a nurse, when do you feel like you felt like the realness of the pandemic? Um, probably when my, when my hospital started, creating its first COVID unit. And it was not my unit, but my sister unit on a, in our newer hospital building. Uh, when they became COVID, I worked on March 18th. I will remember the date for the rest of my life when I worked my first overtime shift on that unit to help support their nursing staff because they were really short. Uh, and these patients were coming in and, and decompensating. So they needed higher levels of care, but we just didn't know what to expect. Uh, And that was my first night where all of my patients had COVID. And um, I, when I gowned up, when I gowned up and went into my patient's room and in our newer hospital building, there's this really clear view of the Empire State Building. And so it's pitch black outside. It's like 9 p.m. And I'm just like, 
gowned up in this, I look like an alien and, you know, the, all the PPE and I'm in that room just looking at the Empire State Building and it's, you know, glowing and the whole sky is dark. And there's one of those moments where I'll never forget. Um, and I realized the gravity of all of this and that this was going to be a huge, huge problem for us here. Um, and right after that, I believe that's when New York City shut down and everything went, um, everyone went into quarantine as after, I believe like the third week of March and just seeing how sick these people were. And all we had at that time was the information from China and I'm in Italy, I think. So, you know, you hear stories and the same stories that I was hearing is the same stories that the general public was hearing. And, you know, my exposure to this is no different than anyone else's. And hearing on the news people dying left and right and nurses dying and doctors dying and um, just how infectious this, you know, virus is. And then all of a sudden you're gowned up and you're, <laughs> you're going in there. Uh, there's just the feeling in my gut where it's like, you know, this is just what you're going to do and you're going to do it. Uh, because I, I wanted to, you know, be there to support the staff. That was the moment where I realized like, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be huge. And this is going to take over our whole hospital. And then shortly after that, we, all of our ICUs turned into COVID ICUs. My floor became designated COVID medicine. So the whole hospital really just, became inundated it was we had very few non-covid patients at that time you but you learn to adapt to it at the same time uh and i and i realized that i thought everyone was going through that at the same time and i didn't realize like how how little other people were being affected by it and it was literally like just like just us because all my friends that were in florida they had never taken care of a covid patient and here i am like having four or five and they're like, well, like if I get a patient, we're just are like, what's going to be one to one with if someone gets a COVID patient, they're only going to have one patient. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's crazy, like that's insane. Uh, so we we were all like learning on the fly, like I talked about earlier. Uh, but you know, walking to work, I would walk to work, and just there would be these white morgue trucks outside, and it was just this like this daunting feeling where you're going to work, you're sweating your butt off, you're in the PPE, you're doing everything you can. Um, and people are still, people are still dying. Like people are, you know, it's, it's never happened to that proportion before. And on my unit, my unit in particular, since we are medicine, uh, we had a lot of hospice patients. And I think that was one of the hardest parts is, you know, being 22, not having that much life experience, not having that much experience face to face with death. And then all of a sudden, you know, every shift I'm taking care of a hospice patient. And a lot of them are dying on my shift and having to do the postmortem care, which you don't, you don't really learn that much about in nursing school. I think I learned, I had one, one lab clinical on it and it was really a short overview, but you know, that's, that's why I think in part, I was kind of placed here. Um, my faith is really important to me. And I really did felt, I felt like there was a calling for me to be there at the bedside while these people were passing. Um, and I want to make it clear that 
these hospice patients, it was not neglect and it was not us choosing to not let them live. It was because they were 95 years old and had cancer all over their body and then they got COVID. And so, you know, they're already really, really, you know, right there. And COVID was just that like unfortunate extra thing that just really put it over the edge and there was just no salvaging their organs from damage at that point. So um, that was, I, that was just the, the hardest emotional part for me. It was like, well, we're taking, you know, we're doing all of this and, you know, where's the support for us? Like, how am I called to do this like superhuman task of like, frankly, like zipping someone up in a body bag. It's just like that. I wrote a, a journal entry one day and it was the entry head was <laughs> zipping someone up in a body bag changes you. Uh, because I look on at this time, all of my friends are still in college because I graduated a year early. So the things that I was being called to do or step into a new dimension and maturity level, I was not seen from my peers. So I'm like, kind of like, why, like, why me? <laughs> why me? But I realized that my past life experiences um, matured me to a point that, you know, I feel like I'm the person that could could do those things. And um, with no family at the bedside, it was really an honor for me to be there. Uh, probably the most solemn thing I'll ever do in my entire life is be there for those people when they and help them pass uh, when they didn't have any family there to, you know, give them comfort. So yeah, and I feel like something that um, I've touched on with the previous guests that we had on was just this notion of you know, every nurse who worked, I would say specifically in New York, I really feel like you guys were were in war. Like you were in a place where you were on this uphill battle of facing a disease that, you know, we didn't have the tools to even battle, you know, I mean, we just didn't know. And I think that is a huge thing to highlight and something that is really admirable and I would say that every single patient that you had was lucky to have you um can you deep dive maybe into the what it's like the process of being an, a COVID nurse like what is that like yeah so there are different levels of care obviously um I'm an acute medicine nurse so we were managing patients the highest that we would go to is um high flow nasal cannula so as a COVID nurse the things that you're really managing is their respiratory, um, respiratory compromise, respiratory distress, um, and different uh, supplemental oxygen therapies, and then fever control, because a lot of them have fever. Sometimes if they spike a fever after a few days, the team will want to pan culture them again to see if there's any secondary pneumonia occurring, which was, a, was very common, was pneumonia related to COVID. So they would be put on some sort of antibiotics like azithromycin for that. Um, and then managing communicating with their families. So we would get, because we didn't have any visitors on the COVID unit so or in the hospital at all. So we would have to coordinate the family's questions uh, with the team and they would call the nursing station and we would um, <clears throat> let them, you know, coordinate the communication with their family member, try to set up 
uh, FaceTime with them with the, the iPads we have in our hospital. Um, if they're elderly, try to call them off their personal cell phone uh, because they were just too weak to do it. Uh, then also managing their other pre-existing conditions, so heart failure. Um, AFib was a, a new, new onset AFib was a part of COVID uh, that we were managing because people were never having AFib before, coming in with AFib and RVR for the first time. Uh, <clears throat> what else? Uh, just doing a, a lots of, and managing diabetes, uh, kidney problems, kidney failure. So it's just the added stress of, and everyone's on tele, continuous uh, telemetry monitoring and pulse oximetry. So you're constantly getting notifications of DSATs. And I was in a room, we have these four bedded rooms in my unit. So it's four patients in one room. And I was just in there. I remember one shift just titrating oxygen the whole time, you know? So I was, you know, moving someone from venturi to a non-rebreather and then the other person from nasal cannula to non-rebreather and back and forth and um, really got adept with understanding where people were going to go. And it was different. Uh, my experience with COVID versus regular patient with COPD or something coming with respiratory failure and hypoxia before, because you could really easily titrate people off oxygen. That was like a thing that we were really trained to do because for discharge, a lot of these people needed to be off nasal cannula. Like they're on two liters. Like how can we get them off? For COVID, we came in like, oh, we're going to get these people off oxygen. It's going to be super easy. Like just like we did before. No, no, no. It was very different. Um, that's why in my post when I <clears throat> give tips for new COVID nurses, let's talk about being wary about um, titrating people off oxygen because they can really <clears throat> desat quickly. So that was something that we had to be more cognizant of. Um, as a COVID nurse, you're trying to go in the room as little as possible. But uh, I think the year of the nurse is very applicable because there's no, there's no profession that spends more time at the bedside than we do. And I really understood the weight of that at, in COVID because they were trying to minimize risk to the doctors and the PCTs. So our one-to-ones when people need to be on constant ob observation for like trying to get out of bed or like pulling stuff, they were on video one-to-one -one, so the patient didn't have to go or the PCT or the uh, patient care technician or CNA didn't have to go in the room. They could be outside the room and watch them on like a, a monitor, basically like a FaceTime sort of thing. So we're in the room nonstop because we're having to do everything for them. Um, and so you're constantly gowning up and taking everything off and sanitizing and cleaning your face shield. And it's just, it's so tiring and you just want to minimize um, you, your presence in, around the, the disease. Uh, uh, but we had, were you balancing then like what was their patient ratio? So like? we were, we were starting out with four and then we got help with staffing because we had a ton of travel staff come. I don't know if you remember, but everyone and their mother was coming to New York city to be travel nurses. And so that was very helpful. And then we got our ratios. Then we were like overstaffed. And that's why we lost so much money is because they were paying 
so much for the travel nurses to come and then all of a sudden our numbers dipped down and we all of a sudden didn't have this need for all of the staffing. So uh, we, then I consistently, I was taking care of like three, three, four, which was good. And then we, we had a time where it became manageable for us and we got to be able to sit during shifts and, you know, actually use the restroom um, and take breaks. What was your PBE like? What was your, did you feel, you know, I mean, obviously there was a lot of like up and down with what was the expectation or, you know, we were learning things as we go but how did you yeah. feel about it I felt well, well first of all I think my experience is going to be is has been different than the majority of nurses experiences because thankfully I work for a well-resourced hospital um, that makes a lot of money uh, to be quite frank and so uh, they adequately prepared us and I well the thing is uh, in the beginning we did have a shortage in masks because all of a sudden there was this huge demand and the supply was not prepared to meet that demand. So naturally you're going to have a shortage. And I think this is in the beginning when we were kind of telling under the notion that people in the public weren't supposed to wear masks because we needed to save them. Um, so this was around late March when we really had a shortage. And I remember there would be weeks where I would wear like the same flimsy surgical mask with a face shield, thank God for the face shield, uh, for, you know, a full week, maybe two weeks. So that was really hard because you, you just, you wanted it to be different, but there was like nothing that they could do. Like they were trying their hardest to obtain this, these materials, but it was, it was like not up to them. You know what I mean? Um, they, and they, you know, did everything they could. I think, um, the price of an N95 was 300 times the uh, pre-COVID price. So things were changing dramatically in, in the uh, supply acquisition process and the supply chain. So that was an early. And then we, when we became an official COVID unit, we got more supplies, more PPE. But we always had gowns and stuff. We always had gloves. We always had the purple wipes, which are the hospital sani wipes. And then um, we always had, you know, everyone had a face shield and then the masks was the big thing. And then once our supply caught up, we were all wearing N95s regularly, uh, which was not what was happening at the beginning of this. So there was a delay, but then in the end, now it's, it's worked out really well with our supply and we're very cognizant of who gets what. And they have, you know, it's literally under lock and key. Like you've heard is like the charge nurse has the key to the N95s and the masks. So you have, if you want one, you have to, you know, talk to them first. Um, and we, there were periods of time where people were stealing stuff and, you know, it was not good. And like people were being crazy because, you know, even me as a nurse, when I'm not at work, like I don't, where am I going to get a mask? There's no mask to be found. Like I didn't have like, I had to like come up with my own masks when I wasn't at work. And that was like the weirdest thing because I felt like when I go home, like I need masks for my family. Like how do I, you know, protect myself when I'm not at work? Um, and I feel like that was like the craziest how you, part. How did you manage feelings of being exposed? Like what, how did you deal with that? 
Uh, I think, thankfully, I really do care about my health and I maintain, I, you know, very cautious and uh, concerned about my diet particularly. And I think that's had the biggest influence and me not uh, catching coronavirus because a lot of my coworkers have gotten sick and I am really grateful never to have gotten sick. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I've not taken the antibody test, but I've been tested twice, like the swab. PCR test. Yeah, the swab. And I've never tested positive and I never had symptoms. So I really don't think that I ever had it. I took my health very seriously and I started incorporating a lot of like nutrient dense foods, um, which is a part of the functional medicine aspect of my lifestyle um, to kind of prevent and like help support my immune system to be able to fight this thing. And weirdly enough is melatonin is actually, this is an aside, melatonin is actually now being studied to prevent like coronavirus in some way, shape or form. And looking back, like I supplement very heavily <laughs> with melatonin as a night shift nurse. So I wonder sometimes if that had an impact into it. Well, it's um, interesting because I feel like something that we never really talked about was how to maximize your health. And I, it's interesting because I do think there was a lot of, you know, gut reaction from the medical world saying, you know, there's really nothing you can do to avoid this, right? Like if you get it, you get it. And like, you know, but we never really talked about, well, how can you fight it off? Let's say you get it, right? But how do you fight off the virus? And something that I do think is really important and something to know is your nutrition. And I love that, that that's something that you were paying attention to. And I agree. I think that, you know, at the root of our healthcare system, that is a big part of something that that's an uphill battle for everyone. You know, diabetes, um, increase high high blood pressure, um, comorbidities like crazy, and you know that is a big root issue in our society. And something we didn't really talk about during that time was everyone, you know, how to maximize nutrition, how to get healthy. Um, really focusing on kind of like you're saying, those nutrient-dense foods, you know, and not to say I'm not suggesting that taking, you know, X amount of vitamin C or zinc is going to completely block you from the virus. No, it's how do you fight the virus if you got it? Yeah, uh, I agree. I think uh, when I was studying biochemistry uh, with my MCAT studies at the similar time, and I've always been fascinated with the state of ketosis in the body. Um, and I've been researching like low carb lifestyles for a while. So that's been a part of my arsenal, I want to say, because um, being in a state of ketosis in the body is actually like really supportive for your immune system, um, like the research shows. So I think that was interesting. I was trying to stay away from really sugary foods, which, uh, lead to more like inflammation in the body and insulin resistance. So uh, in intermittent fasting, which also supports your immune system. Uh, so there were, you know, tricks that I was using, but I was real. And I really do believe is like this pandemic just revealed um, a, another pandemic that's going on in America, which is obesity and diabetes and how much of a crisis that really is. Uh, because most of the patients I was taking care of that had worse outcomes 
were um, fell under those categories with those comorbidities. And research actually started to come out at my own hospital about how obesity was impacting poor patient outcomes. So with the attendings I personally worked with, so I was, I was really just fascinated and it drove my desire to apply to medical school even more. Um, this is all like happening at the same time because I was realizing like, wow, like we, we, if we come at, well, if we take anything away from this, we need to take away the urgency that is in preventive medicine um, and health optimization and like move forward with that because we can't just rely on pharmaceuticals. You know, it's just not a sustainable uh, part of our healthcare system. It, it can't be um, because they can only do so much. Uh, so that was the biggest takeaway um, from this whole process. I was going to say, so, I mean, dabbling in that question a little bit deeper, what was your, um, I would say, favorite, least favorite part of this experience for you? Yeah, I think um, I touched on probably my least favorite part earlier with doing the hospice care. Uh, that's It's hard to say because that obviously you never want to see a patient die. That's hard for everyone. But my favorite aspect of that specifically was being the person that was able to be there. And I knew um, with the integrity of who I am as a nurse that I was doing everything right by them, that I was turning them, that I was keep making them, keeping making sure that they were kept clean, that they were comfortable, that we you weren't poking and prodding them unnecessarily, uh, that they had the right pain management. Uh, so I knew that if I was, if it were my family member going through that, that I would want someone like me taking care of them in their, their final days and hours. Uh, so that was, I think, comforting to me in a weird existential yeah, way in absolutely. itself. Um, but, uh, there was one shift, I think another hard, really hard aspect is the loneliness that comes with being hospitalized that a lot of people could not cope with. And it was, we didn't, we weren't prepared for the mental health aspects of suffering COVID and in inpatient medicine, uh, by yourself without your family there. And I had a patient with a history of depression um, and that shift was so busy and I was trying to give all of myself to this patient with a history of depression that this just multiplied and amplified everything that was going on. Um, and it was so exhausting. Like I just, I remember I had an older nurse like tag me out. She was like, okay, you need to go take 10 minutes and like be by yourself and then come back. And for night shift nurses, we know like the morning hours, like, from five to seven are crazy you're getting everything always the busiest. it's like insane yeah, it's like always. crazy because mm -hmm. everyone needs to be cleaned up everyone needs to pretty much be weighed and vitals and labs and meds and yeah. you're trying to do all these things and your short pcts that help you with a lot of it so you've got to do their job too and it's just, and you know, when you need to bladder scan someone and straight cath someone, it just adds like little extra time consuming things. Um, and so I was just like running around crazy and you know, you, as a COVID nurse, you can't be running around crazy because you have to protect yourself. So if you're going into a room without putting the proper PPE on, it's just not, not okay. Like you can't be doing that, but they were stretching us 
to the point where we felt like we had to compromise like our own safety to, you know, get everything done in the morning. And it was just like, this is terrible feeling. And so I'm going through this, you know, night with this depressed, very depressed patient. And I just broke my heart. And um, I had like, just had to go out and, you know, just like cry and just let the reality of it really hit me. Um, so it was just, just, I just remember that being the hardest part is like having an older nurse, like come to me and say like, no, like you need to take a break because this is when you're going to make a mistake. And when you're running around like with a chicken with your head cut off and I just, yeah. Well, hard. and I would say that's sort of something, um, you know, I'm glad for nurses like that that can recognize that because it's a lot, you know, I mean, you were, I, it is a balance, right, in nursing where you want to give, 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 we all do that. And, you know, your amount of giving was beyond, I think, even the level of magnitude that so many of us can even picture. How do you feel like COVID has affected your personal life? Do you feel like... Oh my gosh. I think, uh, it's been hard for everyone. I collectively, not just the frontline workers, um, but the stress of all of this. And when you're in it, you don't really realize the effect of it. And I think that's going to also be something we see in retrospect is people are going to have a lot of anxiety, um, paranoia, PTSD from going through this. I think there are just like memories I have that I will never shake. And, you know, some things that I'm like, whoa, like I can't believe that that happened or I can't believe that that patient died or something. Um, You know, I had up until that point with six months, thankfully I had never taken care of someone who had died before. And then all of a sudden it was like all of this, all of this death and all of these emergent situations where people had to be rushed to see you put on vents and so uh yeah that was just crazy but I feel like um I learned and it it changed me a lot because I feel like it gave me a greater perspective of life in general and how precious life is but I think the PTSD thing is is really going to be real for a lot of people and then changing my life I think not being able to exercise like I wanted to, you know, it's now it's July and it's hard to kind of do things that are socially distanced outside because everyone is outside and, you know, I don't want to run with a mask on. It's like 95 degrees. So I want, you know, to be safe and other people to be safe and the gyms are closed. Going to the gym used to be a huge part of my self-care routine um, and a way to pay myself back. And that's like my preferred mode of exercise is, is weightlifting. So now that that's hasn't been a thing for like five months, it's, you know, you're just, you, it makes you feel really bad about yourself. And, but it's at the same time brings you into a, a new level of resilience that you didn't know that you had, uh, that you don't necessarily need all of those things in your life to be content and uh, keep going. And although I, I really can't wait to get back to that, uh, it has taught me a lot about myself. What is it? What was it like living in New York at this time? Can you give a little bit? Just of that? so strange. I mean, there's no one on the streets. No one, you know, all the restaurants are closed. The the New York that you think of, Times Square, is just like it was a ghost town, um, and people were really 
really afraid. Like you really couldn't, there was this weird, weird experience. If you're going walking outside with scrubs on, it's like there was this level of respect, newfound respect for frontline healthcare workers. But then there was all the, also this like, like don't come near me because you probably like are carrying it or have it on you or whatever. Uh, so thankfully I was able to walk home, but a lot of my, um, fellow coworkers who take public transportation, like they changed out of their scrubs and everything on their, their, you know, ride home or ride to work. Um, because there is, you know, a lot of this misconception about how COVID is spread and, um, right. Yeah. I mean, wearing masks quickly became, you know, the trend um everyone still you know it's very like everyone really does wear masks or always has a mask on them if they're going to be distanced from people today and i think that's going to keep going for a really long time uh i'm glad that our governance was doing daily debriefings because as a as a court as a frontline healthcare worker i wanted to know like what direction are we moving in and there was a lot of transparency with what was going on with our day-to-day changes in the in the curve and um, in the the statistics of deaths and intubations, and we were being briefed on those every day for a hundred days, I believe. So I'm really grateful for that because I think that gave me some sort of comfort to see where we were going. Um, and then when we finally tailed off towards the end of you know towards the beginning middle of June, it was. I couldn't believe it. I never thought that we would see the day from like where we started. And I think it's still going to be a part of our lives, especially with, you know, all the other states rising hotspots and everything. Um, I just really hope that it doesn't come back here because I just don't think we can go through it again. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, Well, and I remember like watching you kind of share some of it as you were kind of going through it. And I was very thankful for that. Um, as far as your social media goes, because something I've loved about you is, first of all, your your page aesthetic is stunning. I love it. You are adorable. Everything that you post, I just, I don't know, resonates with me so well. And I'm so thankful to be um, in this space with you as a Barco ambassador. I just think it's so fun to have you here in that space. Can you speak to you know, your social media a little bit and like where it started and, you know, what it means to you to be in that space right now. Sure. Um, my Instagram handle is at naturally underscore Heather. And it started when I was in nursing school, I think my first year of nursing school, actually, because I wanted to, uh, I always found myself like finding new products I loved that were fell under the categories of like, um, like clean beauty, like, uh, non-toxic living, like, um, organic, lots of different food options I was trying and and diet stuff and lifestyle stuff in general. Um, And so I wanted to create this account that kind of brought all that together and and brought a platform for to share with people. And so it came out of my passion for that. And uh, for a while, it was really nothing like it was, you know, I had three followers for a very long time and it was my boyfriend and my best friends. So it was, it really, it really went nowhere for a very long time. And I never thought I would really ever reach, um, 5k, let alone 10k. And, um, now I'm at 13 and 
I, I think it just comes from like a desire to share with other people, like my struggles, because I realized the lack of that raw, like vulnerability on the internet. And I wanted to speak to that and then also speak to, um, encouraging other people and advice with nursing because the nursing world is so, um, like not, it's very confusing about, you know, applying to nursing school, getting through it, what happens afterwards. It's uh, not very clear. So I, I wanted to share my experience because I can be a pretty organized person when I want to. Yeah. <laughs> and so I wanted to, I love, you know, finding things that work and sharing those with people. So uh, throughout that journey, uh, that was just a, an incredible opportunity for me to share my experiences. And then I started a blog that uh, it's kind of still like I worked on it a little bit. Um, my website, which was actual blog posts, because I really do like writing. Uh, it's it's a passion for me, and it's it's my favorite way of expressing a lot of internal conflict and internal thoughts that I have. Because I think I'm a pretty introspective person, and it's nice to have a platform where I can share that. So I did start a blog. I started a YouTube, um, which both have been kind of dormant right now with everything the last year uh, with studying full time and working. Um, but yeah, now it's just uh, like an awesome community that I didn't expect to have at all. And the people like will message me and I'm like, they've been, these people have been messaging me for like, over a year now like I feel like we're like family and yeah. friends in a weird Same. way um mm -hmm. and I whenever I get messages or that are so encouraging it just really pushes me to keep going because you know now it's it's really hard to navigate social media um and it's hard to always have the right thing to say and in the appropriate time which has also of recent become really important too so uh it's it's really hard navigating that and the people that I've met on here that I had no idea were in the same place as I am. And I've had so many people, I thought I was very alone, especially with the nursing uh, to medicine journey. But then so many people have reached out to me and said they are considering the same thing and they feel the same way about um, their path. It, it's just been really reassuring to me. And a part of why I want to make medical school work so badly is to you know, be that inspiration to other people. But I also realize that there's real truths and like the adversity and the challenges and sometimes the disappointments that you face along the way. Yeah, so 100%. I like to share both, um, both those sides. Yeah, I think you're such a, a great inspiration. And I love that. And I also do think there's a little bit to be said for it's tough to keep up with everything, right? Like it's hard to say the right thing at the right time. Um, and what I think I really resonate with you, and we've talked a little bit about this, is just kind of like, I do enjoy staying in my little bubble. And I, you know, I know where what I want to speak on and I stay in my place. And I love the people that have been with me. I agree with you. I think that it has been such a fun community for me. And there's, there's, quite a few people that I speak with literally on the daily or on the weekly and I'm able to mentor and help and support and speak to someone who really resonates with whatever I have to say and I love that I think it's it is sort of this thing of 
like a validation to the point of, and it does, and support, right? It's validation and support to, I'm saying this message, I have this journey, and to have people really reciprocate with you and engage with you is is really fun. If you had three tips to upcoming healthcare providers, get really specific, what would you tell them? I think I would say, first of all, that um, when you go into a profession, make sure you do your research. Uh, if I could go back, I, I don't regret my nursing experience for anything because I feel like it really brought me close to the human experience and to what service really means. And um, there are experiences you can have as a bedside nurse that you can't have as any other profession. But I think for someone that's pre-med or pre-nursing or pre-OT or pre-PT, um, something that you really need to do is do your research, shadow a ton, um, think about different aspects of the field, think about the pros and cons, and really think about what you're passionate about. Uh, because truly the only thing that you're going to want to do is, in the, as cliche as it sounds, but it's when the work doesn't feel like work. That's the only sustainable uh, option when it comes to picking a career in, in healthcare. Uh, and then the second tip I would say when you're choosing a career is that there's no easy path in healthcare. Uh, I think for some weird reason, I was under the, under the premise that uh, nursing was going to be an easier decision, that your life is more flexible. You only work three days a week. You know, you need a bachelor's degree instead of a master's to be an RN or an associate's. Um, and truly, I can tell you from experience, especially with Quinn, being with someone that is on the, the pre-med pathway, is that I worked very, very hard in undergrad. I remember my preceptorship um, was at the VA in my senior year. In my senior spring, my uh, clinical schedule was nights and weekends. So I worked, with, which was an internship, every weekend and night shift. I think her schedule was uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night for my senior spring, like after spring break. And that's how I spent my senior spring. And I don't think any other student in any other college um, in undergrad had to do that and sacrifice that time. Uh, Quinn certainly didn't have to do that. So uh, then, and then working in the workforce and working full time and um, learning on the go and just crying after shifts in the first six months of like feeling so inadequate and feeling so stupid and like making mistakes. And I'm a perfectionist. So those things are really hard for me. Um, it certainly was not easy or, you know, our experiences are all relative. So uh, when Quinn got to start school again and be a full-time student and still study, but have those, that time off. And I was working full-time and then studying for the MCAT. I was like, really what's what's easier here you know what I mean yeah um there's no easy path it doesn't matter what you choose it's all hard it's I heard someone say um it's just choosing your flavor of hard because it really is all hard and there's sacrifice in everything you choose to do um so it's just choosing the thing that fits aligns with your passions aligns with your values morals beliefs um and aligns with the lifestyle that you want to live and another part going back into why, you know, that final decision to pursue medical school is seeing 
online on Instagram, all of these moms that were doctors and were like absolutely killing it. And I grew up with the understanding that if you were a doctor, your life sucked and you like were a slave to the hospital and you didn't have a life outside of it. And there's, you know, you weren't going to have kids till you were 40. And that was the, the understanding that I grew up with. And I, that, I think that perspective has changed so much um, with the introduction of more women into that profession. Uh, so I'm really grateful for the inspirations that I've found online. And then the last tip um, would be going back to finding your passion, which I've realized is um, helping people navigate through lifestyle and diet changes and understanding the, the root cause biochemistry, which is what I love. Like I love um, researching that. I don't have a problem spending hours going through articles and journals um, regarding different pathways and uh, different supplementation methods, etc. Um, but you know, that's me. There's, if I could do that for my life, which is what I'm trying to do, like that would make me so happy. And to work with a patient that said, thank you so much for helping, you know, all of these symptoms went away because we fixed this one problem. Um, and now my quality of life is so much better and I'm pain free and I'm not on any drugs and I can really live a true, like free life. Um, that's, you know, that's what I want. I want, you know, to help people, uh, you know, get to their potential and, and, you know, do that in the most natural way uh, that's best and most supportive for their, their body as, as possible. So finding something that sets your soul on fire is, is really, really important um, in this field because you will burn out if you don't like yes. what you do. Yep. 100%. Yes. There's so much nurse burnout because we are such I don't think that society for a long time gave us the credit that we deserve with how, how super intelligent nurses are and how much we care and how much, how much emotional intelligence we have. Um, there's no doubt that it's, it's way under, under marketed and, and under, under realized and underappreciated in our profession. Yeah. So we just, we can do so much, um, we just need to, you know, find things that we're really passionate about and feel yes. that we're really passionate about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. If you were writing an autobiography, what would this chapter be named? Oh, I love this question because I feel like this so much has happened this year. And I think yeah. my chapter title for this year would be Do It Again. Um, and my reasoning behind that is, uh, I had to work and then a night shift, wake up and go into studying just over and over and over again. And it wasn't just like a week or a month of that. It was several months, so several painstaking months, um, of just resilience and diligence, um, and determination and after setback and setback, uh, through my faith, like I've realized, like, um, do it again means to me that, uh, personally that like God is going to show up for me again, uh, through this time and he's going to do it again and make it happen again. Like he was faithful before. Um, so without getting too much deeper into that, like, that's what that means to me. And, um, you know, showing up again at the bedside, for these people uh, when there were lots of risks involved 
showing up to apply to medical school when I really don't have that much of a shot based on my statistics, you know, it would be against the odds for it to work out for me. Um, yeah, it would, that's what it would be. Cause there's that. just like Thank no you. other explanation. <laughs> no, I love this Heather. And I think that's why I really wanted to bring you on today because I do, I see that in you and I feel lucky enough to know you and, you know, I think that is such a strong message. And, you know, for everything that you've been through, you know, your resilience, and your self awareness, and your character is just, I can't even begin to tell you how much I see it in you. And you're so young. I mean, you know, it's just, it's wonderful. And I think you have such a great story and a great perspective as well. You know, it's, it's super well rounded. And I just appreciate you coming on today, girlfriend. I'm so thankful. Thank you for taking the time. And before we head out, do you have a resource for our audience, a podcast, a Netflix, a book that you really love to leave them with? Oh, um, I have a few podcasts that I've been really liking lately. I feel like with how lonely and isolating this time can be, it's good to have a voice in your ear that's you're learning stuff because mm-hmm. it will drive me crazy if I'm alone all the time. So something I've really been loving is uh, the Reconciling Medicine podcast with uh, both the doctors, Paro, in California. Um, uh, Renee is a pediatric cardiologist and her husband is a plastic surgeon out there. And they have such a cute family and they're such an inspiration for me. Uh, and Quinn moving forward with how to navigate and reconcile medicine with um, living lives outside of it. And so their podcast is really great and and really funny uh, and just encouraging and motivational, as well as Revolution Health Radio, which is um, another California-based podcast with Chris Kresser, who has a functional medicine practice out there. Uh, He talks a, a lot about uh, the microbiome and uh, other aspects of health and what's going on in the world and um, a lot of the biochemistry behind it, as well as another podcast called The Doctor's Pharmacy, which is through Mark Hyman, who's a, a family medicine physician. He's really spearheaded a lot of this functional medicine and brought it into the mainstream culture. Uh, and he, in the doctor's pharmacy, they talk about soil health and how our healthcare system impacts our uh, ecosystem and, and our earth and the sustainability of our earth and things that we can do to make our lives more sustainable. So that's a really well-rounded podcast. And, and he has a separate one that's more uh, functional medicine oriented. So those are some good ones. Um, as far as Netflix, lately I've been getting back into New Girl because I feel like it's oh. so funny. Love okay. that show. Okay. Um, so New Girl, Parks and Recreation, and The Office are just classic. Oh my God, me. yes, you're an Office person? Yes, I am. That's I our go-to. <laughs> it got me through every night when I come home from night shift or every morning when I come home from That's- night shift, I always watch um, the office it's before so I'm going to sleep and it's just great. Um, I yeah, that. that's my recommendations. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for coming on, uh, pimp yourself out. Where can everybody find you all your platforms? Yeah. So my Instagram is my main, uh, platform right now. I'm still working on like getting YouTube back up and running, but my Instagram is naturally underscore Heather. 
uh, and then my YouTube is the same, uh, and I'll be hopefully posting something soon. I'm just like trying to figure out where to restart this whole situation. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Uh, it's a, fun, it's a yeah. fun creative process, right? Yes, but everything is on my Instagram, so there's no, you, all the resources on, are on there. Um, if you do find me from this podcast, please DM me. I'd love to yeah. say hi to you, get to know you. Um, yeah, thank you Connect. for having me on, Tori. I, oh. This is a, a great time to, to talk, and I'm, I'm so glad that I have someone like you in this this realm. Um, it's so reassuring to me. It really Likewise. Is. That goes two ways, Heather. I just love you. And one of these days, we're going to get to meet in person. I can't wait. Yes, because we're moving to California. I've already decided. Yes! New Bring the functional craziness. medicine out here. Yes. Yes. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Heather. I appreciate it. Mwah! Thank you so much, Heather, for coming in today. Holy smokes, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. Seriously, Heather is amazing. She is the kindest soul. If you guys want to head over to her DMs, definitely send her a message. Let her know what you guys thought of this episode. Did you get something out of it? We really want to hear from you. So thank you so much, everyone for being here with me per usual. You know this. I am just so thankful for this community. You guys are amazing every single week, just getting your messages, your DMs, your rates and reviews. You have no idea how much it means to me. So per usual, you guys head over to rate and review us. Let us know what you thought. I want to hear from you. I want to know specifically. Get down to the nitty gritty. Like, I love the nitty gritty. I want to know what you thought. Give us some feedback. Let us know. Did you get something, some value from a particular guest? Who was your favorite? What did you learn from? What did you take away? I really love that. And as you guys know, we have started with some amazing selfie swag. So if you leave your Insta handle in the review, I will send over some super cute stickers and a selfie badge reel featuring Selena, our selfie icon. Make sure you guys are following us on our Insta at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. You guys can find all of our episodes on www.tipsfromtory.com and swipe up, you guys. These show notes are loaded with information about our guests and, of course, our amazing sponsors. And you guys, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I cannot wait for our next episode. Catch you next time.